Good afternoon and welcome to Three Lawyers and a Drone coming to you from Thompson Coburn LLP, a full service national law firm of over 350 lawyers located in St. Louis, Los Angeles, Chicago, and right here in Washington, DC. My name is Sean McGowan. I'm a partner in the Thompson Coburn's Federal Regulatory Practice Group. I'm also co-chair of the UAS Practice Group. I've been a transportation regulatory lawyer for over 20 years, assisting clients in issues in all modes of transportation, aviation, rail, trucking, and maritime before federal agencies here in Washington, D.C. Uh, joining me today are two other members of the firm's UAS practice group, Associates Tyler Black and Mike Deutsch. Tyler? Hello, I'm Tyler Black. I'm an associate in the International Trade uh, and UAS practice groups. I have been at Thompson Coburn for five years now and uh, I've done a variety of transportation, trade, um, and regulatory issues. Uh, I am also a private pilot, and I enjoy flying a, a little drone on the weekends and uh, thinking about all there is to know about drones in this country. Hey everybody, I am Mike Deutsch. I'm an associate here at Thompson Coburn, and I work on a variety of transportation regulatory issues. Prior to joining the firm, I worked at the Federal Aviation Administration and at the U.S. Department of Transportation. I worked on a whole, a whole range of aviation and drone issues. So why are we doing this podcast? Unmanned aircraft present a unique set of challenges for the general public, private industry, and the government regulators that are in this space. So we thought we'd chime in with our various insights and experiences and see what we could contribute to the conversation. That's right, and we all have a shared interest in this topic, and between my work at the FAA, Sean's regulatory and aviation product liability work, and Tyler's experience as a recreational remote pilot, we have over 30 collective years in the transportation regulatory industry, and we're going to draw on our unique and diverse backgrounds to discuss the things that matter to you, the listeners. Uh, we thought we'd kick off today's session by discussing what seems to be uh, the hot topic in the drone community nowadays, drone disruptions in public places like sports stadiums and at airports. You must be talking about what happened at Gatwick and uh, at the Super Bowl. Exactly. Game was a total snooze, but I'll tell you what I found particularly interesting was an article that I read afterward that said six drones were confiscated at or near the stadium. Interesting. That, that's probably a part of the, the standard operating procedures to restrict drone flights um, before, during, and after um, a lot of major sporting events. Uh, it's typically done through a temporary flight restriction, or TFR. If you're a, a young pilot, uh, you can find those on tfr.faa.gov, and there are a few other um, parties that, that host uh, the locations of those temporary flight restrictions. But what they basically do is they put a wide uh, range um, around an event site uh, at a particular time where pilots of any sort, drone, manned, or otherwise, uh, are not permitted to fly for any purpose. And they must obey these limits or face a, a thousands of dollars worth of fines and or criminal prosecution. So it's pretty serious. And it seems like drone sightings are becoming more and more a regular day basis. I mean, not only at you know, special events like Super Bowl, but also at commercial airports and, and just around the country. Um, what, but there doesn't seem to be any great way to stop drones from entering airspace. 
Yeah, not just around the country, John, but around the world. Uh, Gatwick was a, a recent example of uh, drone disruption in an airport. Right. That's the one where in December uh, there were multiple drones that were sighted around uh, Gatwick Airport, which is one of the busiest in the United Kingdom. And they appeared to actually be actively trying to disrupt the air traffic. Uh, it really created a lot of haywire and confusion. Yeah, it was a major mess. Uh, EasyJet alone estimated that it cost the airline millions of pounds in lost operating revenue. That is a lot of fish and chips. <laughs> sure is. And disruptions to airports, not, not anything new, of course, as you guys know. I mean, the aviation industry has been dealing with this for years and years, um, not only with uh, remotely piloted vehicles like, you know, you'd see at, at local flying clubs, but... Uh, bird incursions. There's been a lot of a lot of work done on trying to get Canadian geese off airports and things like that. Obviously, with with unmanned aircraft systems, uh, tricky thing is that you know they're small like birds, um, and but they are not as random and erratic. I mean, we have people piloting these these uh, aircraft and specifically going into locations where they're not supposed to be. You know, either for selfish reasons or perhaps for nefarious reasons. So, Sean, what are some of the solutions that people and governments are looking to in order to eliminate the presence of unwanted drones in the nearby airspace? Well, the FAA, as you know, is primarily concerned about compliance. They're not, they're not looking to really penalize everybody who's out there flying. Um, and so before an event, FAA does a lot. Uh, they do, uh, as you've seen on their website, they're doing a ton of education of drones uh, for the operating public about how to lawfully operate your drone. They're put, working with law enforcement officers because the FAA itself doesn't have the manpower. Um, so they're giving law enforcement guidance on what to do with errant drones and how to uh, approach drone operators. Um, they're encouraging manufacturers and companies to put geofencing in to make it harder for drone operators to get around um, the, you know, certain areas and, and fly in areas that are, they're not supposed to be doing. Um, there's the erection of site-specific netting or barriers where applicable around some stadiums. Um, they're also publicizing. I think uh, one, one way for them to make a real impact is publicize their enforcement efforts uh, they don't have a ton of enforcement efforts right now, no. uh, but um, you know, as more and more drones enter the airspace, I think we will see prosecution of uh, of drone operators and the deterrence of bad actors. Um, and lastly, uh, engaging with vulnerable vulnerable events uh, and industry areas like uh, nuclear power facilities or or transmission areas. Um, to plan ahead for certain incursions that they are uh, that that may occur. Okay, so all that seems to be more or less preparatory. Mike, what are what are some things that um, are viable options once an operation has begun? So once you have an operation that's in progress, uh, the first and probably the most obvious step would be to try and find the drone operator and stop the operation from the ground. Now, that can't always be done. And in a situation where you just can't find the drone operator, uh, let's say you see the drone flying overhead, but you don't know who's controlling it, you can't see where, where the person is, then you can then agencies can try and disrupt the communication between the operator and the aircraft or uh, between the aircraft and a navigation aid, uh, for example, a satellite. Uh, another 
uh, option would be to use a counter drone device, think um, a giant net to take down the drone, or even animals. Uh, some organizations are looking at using hawks and eagles uh, to actually go out and physically take down take down a drone. Um, if you have some spare time, I'd highly re recommend uh, YouTubing hawks taking down drones or eagles taking down <laughs> drones. There's some pretty cool videos out there. Uh, finally, if all of those options aren't available, uh, there's the, always the option of using a kinetic force weapon. Sounds like a gun. A gun, yes, uh, or a water cannon or a beanbag weapon. Just something to throw an object or material at the drone to knock it out of the sky. And just to be clear, all, all of you listeners out there, we are talking about authorized government agencies taking a drone out of the sky, not John Q. shotgun from his roof. Please, people, please, please, please do not shoot at drones. So, unfortunately, there are, it seems like there are some obvious problems with each of those corrective actions. There are, unfortunately. Uh, in some cases, it could be difficult or just impossible to locate the drone operator while in the act. Uh, that was the case with Gatwick. Uh, or it could be happening, the act could be happening in a site where radio frequency jamming or kinetic force weapons are dangerous or undesirable. Um, or there's always the the, uh, the possibility that the burn, the bird, or the net, or the other kind of drone technology could simply be unsuccessful. This is all relatively new, and it's all a lot of it's still in the testing phase. So, what are the FAA and similar agencies and other countries doing about the problem now? Well, there's it's been a lot of testing for a number of years um, as everyone tries to figure out what are the best ways to deal with these incursions. The Denver International Airport right now is serving as a test location for detecting and countering unmanned aircraft. A few years before that, the Atlantic City International Airport served in the same type of role. Some of those technologies really focus on the detection and triangulation of the location of the aircraft and the operator to rapidly deploy uh, ground um, personnel to take care of those um, aspects of the operation. But there's a gap right now, unfortunately, between the sophisticated capabilities of the aircraft themselves with higher and higher rates of speed, maneuverability, um, and uh, on the other hand, the capabilities, the more limited capabilities of the technologies to dissuade or prevent those unwanted operations. And Tyler, just to elaborate a little bit on that, it's not just a technological gap. There's also a significant legal and regulatory gap. Right. No, that's absolutely right. The Federal Communications Commission, FCC, is still of the mindset that they are going to block a lot of the domestic development of counter-unmanned aircraft uh, jamming technology because they're very concerned about the widespread rapid, untested deployment of jamming devices um, just as much or, or more so than the FAA is concerned about the widespread deployment of drones. And, and there's certainly valid concerns. I think moving forward, the FAA getting remote identification out will absolutely be a critical component in combating and discouraging these rogue operations. And can you say really quick, what do you mean by remote identification? So remote identification entails... Uh, identifying, having an identifying marker on each drone as out there. Think aircraft. Aircrafts have a, a, a tail number that identifies them. Right. When I say remote identification, I'm referring to something similar, but for drones. Now, it's my understanding that the FAA may require manufacturers to build remote identification into the aircraft. Uh, think some kind of electronic signature. 
so that law enforcement and FAA personnel on the ground will be able to determine who owns the aircraft. And just to be clear, this is absolutely critical. The FAA has announced that they are working on a remote ID, remote identification notice of proposed rulemaking. Uh, their timeline right now is they're aiming for July, I think July 21st is the exact date, to release the proposed rule. Uh, but fear not, comments are due after that. Comments are due around the end of October 2019. And this is going to be a big one for the entire industry, whether you're a hobbyist, a commercial operator, a civil operator. This will impact the industry as a whole. So definitely keep your eye out for that one. Well, there's certainly a lot of uh, developments to keep an eye out for, so please keep it tuned here as these developments happen. Thanks for joining us today, and feel free to follow us on our Twitter account at TC Drone Law for podcast episodes, tweets, and commentary, or direct message us for your specific questions. Thank you. Disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute legal advice and does not cover all the applicable rules. It is for informational purposes and to generate thoughtful discussions about the current issues facing drone operators in the U.S. and elsewhere. For more information or questions, please contact TC via our Twitter handle at TC Drone Law or visit our website www.thompsoncoburn.com.